Hello and welcome to episode 86 of Random Encounter, the RPG fan podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today, Stephen, I gotta say, I was gonna pick two possible nicknames for you, okay? I was okay. I was going to originally call you Rob Was Right Myrink because, you know, you, you texted me this morning saying that, hey, what do you know, the evil within gets really good after you get... I never said it wasn't. Yeah, but you were kind of like, uh, I don't know, it's not very good, the pacing's bad, and I'm like, dude, just keep playing, it gets better, it gets better, it gets better. Yeah, but I knew it got better. We, we talked about that. I know, I know, but I, but I was right. Uh, so that was one possible nickname for you, and then the other one I just decided on is going to be Temple Raising Myrink. As we look at the front cover of Kingdom Hearts 2.5, I'm sorry, Roman numeral 2.alphanumeric5 HD remix, and Xehanort's eye looks like it's about ready to pop out of its socket. He didn't know it was Xehanort, I had to tell him that. And I'm sorry. This might be your cue that you know Robert does not read the website he writes for. <laughs> because we've been reporting on that since the first one came out and was called I.5. I, it, it, can I get a little bit of a, yeah, that's maybe a little weird to have the Roman numerals and the alphanumeric in there? Rob, it's Square Enix. I know. At least they're not putting division signs into their games the right Kingdom now. Heart, Kingdom Heart, I mean, let me rephrase it. It's not Square Enix. It's no more of titling. Okay, that's that's fair. That's fair. Because for as silly as that and Dream and three three five eight over two days is, the Final Fantasy fourteen expansion that was just announced is called Heavensward. That's just one word, and it's awesome. That I will agree with that. That's pretty good. That's pretty. That's a little bit better than 2.5 HD, or I'm sorry, HD 2.5. And it's R E R lowercase e all caps mix. Oh god. Okay. I'm I'm done making fun of this. Uh, joining us today, we also have Kyle Geralt fanboy E Miller. <laughs> Kyle E on the boards. Hello. Cool. 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 Kyle, how you doing, buddy? We haven't had you on the podcast since uh, E3. Yeah. What's up with that? I'm sorry. We, 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 <laughs> you're more than welcome to always come on. It's just you'll just be talking about Witcher, 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 Witcher. What do we got? The uh, new trailer for the opening cinematic for Witcher 2 is uh, – sorry, yes, Witcher yeah. 3. Don't give away my news stories before I say them. Sorry. We're having a freeform podcast tonight. Considering – I mean they pretty much only made awesome cinematic trailers. Yep. They're they're fantastic. Great music. Um so that's that's going to be a treat. I'm very nervous about the system requirements for Witcher 3 when oh they're God. announced. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be like this thing actually needs a T800 Cyberdyne unit in order actually to just, run. You actually have to have worth it. two computers. <laughs> <laughs> one computer for Geralt's hair, the other one, computer, one computer for Geralt's <laughs> hair and beard physics. <laughs> I love his beard. I really love it. I, I still have that t-shirt from, uh, from E3 that we have with like the yeah. side profile of Geralt. And my students, whenever they see me in that on campus, they're like, wow, that is just awesome. And I said, yeah, I know, right? You should probably <laughs> get that game when it comes out. So, I like your students. Yeah, CD Projekt Red, I'm, uh, I'm trying to do your job for you and market uh, The Witcher 3. Which, When is that coming out? Is it February? Yeah, late February, uh, 26th, something like that. Okay. I, should, I know, I should know the exact date. But... I, f- I figured you had a countdown timer on your desk <laughs> right now. It was just like... like... I put X's in the calendar. <laughs> Oh man, next year is going to be big. So many games releasing so fast. Witcher three right in there. Ugh, it's going to be good. I feel like we're kind of hitting the the low point of the year right now, though. I'm kind of done with most major release. Most major See, I think right now. To me, we had like a serious summer drought. Like in the summer, I didn't play many games at all. I played Divine Divinity or Divinity: Original Sin, and that was basically it. 
Um, but now I feel like there's a lot coming out. I just I reviewed like four games this month, and I mean a lot of littler stuff. But next month we have Dragon Age, mm-hmm. um, and some non RPGs. But I'm looking forward to Binding of Isaac Rebirth. I have one of my students was uh, telling me that I really really like Binding of Isaac, and I just decided to wait until we get the HD version with actual like real physical controls. So I'm excited for that, and Dragon Age Inquisition, every time we see it, looks pretty damn good. I think maybe Dragon Age The Apology will make good, guys. Maybe? <laughs> see, it looks... I, I really think it looks pretty good. Um, you know, I think people forget that while Dragon Age 2 is disappointing, you know, like, I mean, I personally didn't love the first game, but it was well-beloved, and, like, there was still, like, interesting things happening in Dragon Age 2. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Right. Is, Isabella is still a character that exists, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, she was kind of... Like, I, I still sort of, like, forget that I actually had more fun playing Dragon Age 2 than 1, so I'm actually pretty excited for Inquisition. Yeah, I, I just like how intricate Origins felt, and I really hope that they can replicate that, where Dragon Age 2's biggest problem outside of respawning enemies was just that everything felt like a movie set, especially when you return to the same mansion a second time and just a different door unlocks. I, I just... Wasn't there, like, an old Twilight Zone episode about, like, people that would go through and, like, prepare the future, like, car accidents and stuff, and it was, like, a bunch of set designers, and that's just what it felt like I was playing Dragon Age 2. Like, <laughs> didn't I slaughter 10,000 people in here last week? But, the, man, they, they really got the blood out of the carpet. That's actually not too bad. Fabulous. Oh, boy. So, Kyle, you're playing a lot of games, so why don't we start with you, and you can talk to us about... So I want to... You know what game I want to know about? Because I have it, and I haven't had a chance to fire it up. I want to know about The Vanishing of Ethan Carter. Vanishing of Ethan Carter. Okay, so this... It's... For those who don't know, it's a... It's like a 3D graphic adventure, basically. Sort of in the vein of a heavy rain, but it's first person. Um, and it's a really great autumn game. Very atmospheric. Uh, a little bit spooky. Not scary, Actually, there's one part that's legitimately kind of creepy and scary, but it has a very nice atmosphere, um, and it's mostly story-driven, not a whole lot of interaction, really simple puzzles, looks really beautiful. They have this, they essentially, what they did was, like, they take they took pictures of, you know, outside, and they, like, somehow, using this technology, they imported them into the game, so you're not getting like textures that are tiled and repeated and you're getting like natural geographical formations and it looks fantastic um it did it did look very impressive when i'd seen some videos of it 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 looks brilliant yeah i've played like an hour of it and if nothing else it's freaking gorgeous and the thing about this game though is that you know it's a mystery and like most mysteries there's like a twist at the end and unfortunately, the actual twist that the game kind of revolves around, the crux of the story, is incredibly cliched. And it's like one of those narrative sins that you, one of those things that you just don't do. And I thought everybody knew that. It's a slight variation, but essentially it's the same thing. So there's that. But at the same time, the, the final scene kind of apart from this twist is actually really affecting and some of the writing up to that point is really subtle really minimalistic um they do a lot of things with like how characters uh the like character postures 
and facial expressions. They tell stories that way. So there is some really like subtle things, and then there's this weird, like, just big dumb twist. So it's kind of a weird. I know, kind of messes with you. You're not sure how to feel about it. Did um, you, uh, without going into specifics on it, did you guess the twist, or did it like come out of left field, and you're just sitting there going, "Really, that was what you guys decided to go with?" Um, I had been. I'm kind of actually embarrassed that I didn't guess it, because <laughs> it's kind of, it, you know, you should guess it toward the end there. I guess something similar to it. Um, so it doesn't necessarily come out of left field, but it's it's just very, very hokey, I guess, is the best, the best way to describe it. And it feels out of place because the rest of the story elements are, like, really realistic, and it's just this portrait of a kind of a damaged small family and it's just this kind of an intimate story that's really neat um well done and then there's this just kind of hokey genre twist that i that i think is kind of a misstep but did you like gone home did you even play that yeah I reviewed Gone Home. Oh, okay. Well, I, it shows that I do not read actually what the <laughs> yeah. website. Clearly, don't read the website. I want uh, you to picture me as the guy eating cereal meme and me going, "See, I told you." <laughs> this will be your last podcast. Um, well, that's fair. That's fair. But you liked Gone Home, so you you do no, it actually, with these I, kind of narrative driven. I don't really like Gone Home. Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> I gave it a. I think I gave it a seventy-five percent. Um, it's, and I I think it's an interesting idea, and there's some good realistic ideas in there but to me gone home is a very mainstream game and it's a mainstream perspective of what's supposed to be an outsider an outsider story um and i you know and for some people that will work especially if you grew up during the time that it's supposed to sort of evoke Mm -hmm. um but it's not it didn't seem very true to life to me but it, it actually Ethan Carter has interesting parallels to Gone Home. It could make an interesting editorial. Hmm. Okay. But I, I recommend Ethan Carter um, if you if you do enjoy games like Gone Home or Dear Esther, like those kind of. And I know a lot of people don't like the you know the walking simulator, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Did um... I love those kinds of games? They're just sort of they're more relaxing than I think a lot of. Triple A and even indie games, which are getting more and more mechanic based. Well, that's not really backed up, but a lot of mechanic based games, which I do like. I like a game that's sort of meant to be just played in one shot and just you explore and you find a story. And it's sort of a very, it's an interactive way to basically read a book to you. Mm-hmm. And that's clearly not for everybody because reading a book's not for everybody, but it should be. Um, <laughs> Nicely put. Ethan Carter is definitely, I was really relaxed when I played the game, even though there's like some creepy moments and it's about like murder and stuff. Like I was just like chill through that whole game. It's mm-hmm. nice. How long was it? I think I have like, I can actually check on Steam right now. It's really short though. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I played it for, it says two hours here, so. Oh wow! Okay, so it's a pretty quick experience. It doesn't it doesn't linger. Okay, lingers in your mind. 
Right, right. I heard some people complaining about like one area, like the mines, and it weren't very good. I saw that in a couple of reviews. Can you touch on that? Was there was there a section you were saying the puzzles were pretty good for the most part, but was there a section that maybe was a little bit more challenging or something? Without giving away something, that was just something that was keeping me from really jumping into the game. Was people all saying like collectively, yes, this section of the game sucked? No, I wouldn't really say that. Okay. I don't. I don't. You might. I know what they're talking about. There's kind of a, a part that you have to sort of collect a certain number of things. Mm-hmm. Loosely use the word collect. Um, and if you, but no, don't. I wouldn't let that stop you. And it's really, I mean, it's so short that that section of the game is probably a half an hour at most. So. Yeah. Well, we, we were talking in the pre-show warm-up a little bit, and I think we need to. I have no problem with the game being short if it's an experience that I'm enjoying and it ends before it wears out its welcome. You know, I, I've I've been playing a little bit of Alien Isolation and I think that that game would have done better if it was a four to five hour experience that was maybe $30 instead of a 20 plus hour experience that is $60 where I'm, I've played eight hours of it and I'm already done. Like, I don't want to play anymore. I've seen what it has to offer. I'm just going through the motions. I'm repeating areas. I'm, I'm, you know, go here and fiddle with something in order to activate something over here and then go over there. I just wish it was a tighter experience. But then I wonder, were they so terrified of maybe putting out a $30 game? Would it have had that budget moniker, uh, moniker attached to it that would then prevent it from reaching, reaching mainstream success, if that makes sense? And a hush falls over the crowd. I'm, guess- <laughs> I'm guessing that Steven is either eating something and couldn't get in there very quickly. Or, yes. Kyle, or Kyle's just nodding his head in agreement. Just like, oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm point, really yes. hungry. I'm listening, though. Yeah, you had yeah, time I, to eat. I, 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 think I didn't have time I to eat. I was translating all morning. I haven't played Alien. That's why I didn't see mm-hmm. I don't want to. It's, it's, I, so it's good. I, but... I'm sort of like, I can't remember why I read an article this week on like the length of games. But, like, there's a certain price point at which I no longer care how long the game is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that price point is anything that isn't $30 or less. Um, I, For me, I, I look at it this way. I'm happy to pay $11 to go see a movie that lasts maybe two hours. Mm-hmm. And I might even see it again because uh, I'm the kind of person that does that. So, I mean, if I get a game and the game lasts me two or three sittings and I paid 20 bucks, then it seems fine to me. On the other hand, you get a game that's like, you know, like Alien, which is apparently very long, or you get like a lot of RPG, like Bravely Default's a great example. Bravely Default is a game that was made longer to make it worth more money, and I don't feel like that's a thing that I need. And there are plenty of people, and I would argue, I, 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 don't, I don't necessarily agree with it wholesale as a generalization, but when I was younger and had less money, and younger players obviously have less money to spend, they want their game to last longer, otherwise they feel like they, you know, it's not worth it. You know, you beat, you pay your fifty dollars in allowance to buy a game, and it lasts ten hours. You're probably pretty mad. Uh, I have the opposite issue. Well, no, I don't have the opposite. I don't need money either, but I have even less time. So, when I buy something, it's like I want it to be a really good experience that frees me up to get back to other things, not something that's going to take me five hundred years to finish. Because odds are good, I won't finish it if it's Bravely Default. Didn't finish it. Way too long. Shin Megami Tensei Four. Way not fun enough. Uh, oh, oh, you are so wrong. So you're so wrong. <laughs> You know, 
I, I don't care how long your game is. Like, I'm not, I don't want an hour long game to be $60. But on the other hand, once it's below 60, I sort of don't care. Yeah, I'm willing to take chances on games for a lower price point. That's why I picked up Alien. It was it was on a sale, so I got that. And I was like, okay, you know, I played it for eight hours. I didn't love it as much as I wanted to, but I still got an experience out of it. It was still pleasant. I, I totally get what this game is all about, and that was cool. And I also wanted to support it because I want new experiences like that game. I, I think it's really ballsy that a developer would try to make that hardcore of an experience in this day and age when we're kind of cutting the edges off games and making sure that everybody can beat them, everybody can play them. I think games like Alien Isolation, The Evil Within, those are kind of old school games in a lot of ways and that they're very challenging and they're they're pushing you as a player. And there's there's something to be said for those kind of games. I don't think every game should be like that, obviously. You know, not every game needs to be a Souls title. But they should be no. Uh, but there is room for. There's room somewhere for in the distance. Derek is dying from. I that know. Comment. Derek. Derek just freaked out. We miss. We, we miss you, buddy. But Derek is just like losing it right now. Like no. But there, there's something to be said for games that are different experiences, and I like playing different things, trying different games. I'm trying to move outside of my comfort zone a little bit. And I just hope that we can continue to do that either with the indie scene or with these big releases that are coming out lately that, yeah, Creative Assembly just wanted to make an Alien game. Who would have thought? Isn't that neat? That's the kind of thing that I'm really liking out of video gaming, and I hope when we do E3 again, we see more of those kinds of, like, wow, never would have thought this would have come out. That would be really cool. You know, not just another Call of Duty or Madden. Those games aren't bad, but I, I like to see new things, you know? I agree. Yep. Steven, what have you been up to? Let's see. So I actually forgot when we were pre-showing. I start. We'll start with this because this is a newer game. Uh, Terra Battle came out, and that's Miss Walker's new mobile game. Which almost immediately I heard mobile game and I went. I remember that you were you were angry. You were actually angry with the announcement of it. Yeah, because I'm like, hey, that's not Lost Odyssey two. So what are you doing? Yeah, but if you put that aside and you put my complete and utter open bias against mobile games, I hate them. I have no desire to play a game that is designed to monetize itself over gameplay. That's why, again, we've talked about this before. I won't belabor the point. Final Fantasy XIV is great for not going free to play because the game is designed for content and for like the player experience, not how can we bite-size this experience into something that we can sell to the player. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. On a moral standpoint, that's a perfectly legitimate way to do your game. I don't want to play a game like that. I, I, I don't... I want all my mechanics, and I want them to be dependent upon how I'm playing the game. Or I want a story, and I don't want that story to be partitioned out into, how can I get you to microtransact? You want to sell me episodes? Great. But once I've paid for it, I don't want to pay anything else. And I don't want the game structured so it takes forever unless I pay money. Um... So with that in mind, I very, very apprehensively downloaded Terra Battle, soundtrack by Nobu Uematsu, Miss Walker team behind it, lots of cool Japanese game development luminaries. Um, and while it does have a microtransaction element to it, basically, so it's, a, it's an RPG, but sort of more or less just a combat system of an RPG with cutscenes in between. And uh, there actually are cutscenes. Yeah, and so fighting story. Well, it's their text cutscenes with artwork behind them. The cutscenes are basically the novel sections from uh, Lost Odyssey, and uh, even the text effects are, are similar. Oh, but weird. so, 
So to fight a story battle, you have to use a certain amount of stamina, and your party gains more stamina as they level up. So, you know, you start, I think, with like 15 or 20, and it takes, you know, two to five to fight a story battle. And the stamina recharges every five minutes. Um, so, you know, you get to a point eventually if you do a ton of story battles in a row, you run out of stamina, you can pay money to recharge it, or you can just wait, or there are certain, you know, you can level up or do certain things in the game to get more stamina. And then the grinding aspects, so there are areas you can go to that are just sort of generic battles. Those don't cost any stamina, so you can still play the game without the stupid microtransaction thing. And then it's sort of like Puzzle and Dragons or a lot of like gacha pawn machines in Japan where there's this element called energy. And I'm getting all the terrible stuff out of the way first. That way I can talk about the good part. Um, there's energy, which you use to hire new people to join your party. And you can either spend in-game currency, which is gold, to get like monsters and generic NPCs. Or you can spend energy, which you get, you know, from certain events. You get them certain milestones in the story, which lets you hire new characters that are like, you know, drawn characters with a name and a personality. Um, so far I have not felt at any point that I had to do any of that because they sort of ration out the amount of energy you get in such a way that you can continually get new party members just by playing the game. You know, not as quickly, obviously, as if you went and spent 20 bucks and just kept buying characters, but, um, fast enough that I don't feel like my experience at the game has been hurt since the characters don't have a personality in the game. And that's to say your chapter, you get a world map. And it's the production on it is great. Like the artwork is fantastic. The music is awesome. So you'll pick a chapter and then there's like a set of battles in each chapter. And it works a lot like a, ta a tactical RPG. And so you get into the fights and your characters are all represented as tiles on this grid. And so it's sort of this like the basest abstraction of a turn-based RPG, but designed in such a way that it actually really suits the mobile platform because you can play it all with one thumb. And basically the gist of the combat is that you'll have enemy tiles and your tiles on this grid. And if you do, if you surround an enemy tile or a group of enemy tiles with two of yours, you'll attack them. And where this starts to get more strategic is that when you can only move one tile per turn. But if you move the tile you're moving across another tile, it moves to where you were before. And you have a certain amount of time once you touch a tile to execute your turn. So what you'll do, you'll, what, what you'll find that you're doing is that you're sitting there looking at your, the structure of your tiles and saying, okay, how can I move one tile as quickly as possible to get everybody where I need them to be for the, the best strategic attack? And so at first that depth is not really apparent. And then you realize that when you're on the same horizontal or vertical plane, like, you know, for example, if you're in the same row or column, when you attack as another one of your allied tiles, that allied tile will also contribute to the attack. So what it turns into is you're sitting there on your turn looking at the board, really doing strategizing. And it's really cool because then you hit it and it's like then you get that sort of immediacy where you're like, all right, I got to move as quickly as I can to set up my attack. And then you do it and then you get to watch, you know, it's like attack one, two, three, four, five. And then all like the spells come out and magic comes out. And it ends up being this really cool thing that I don't think is possible elsewhere. And that's why I ended up liking the game because you have this strategy battle system with levels and stuff because you gain XP after fights and your units get stronger and learn new abilities and you can give them new jobs which sort of expand their ability set and expand their utility in terms of positioning and how you would hit stuff on the grid and it sort of combines that strategy element with a quick mobile friendly like I want to sit down and play for 10 minutes you know on my phone of fighting battles and it's really engaging um 
And so the leveling aspect is there, but it's also very heavily dependent on your strategy because you could sit there because there's like in Fire Emblem, there's a weapon triangle. There's bows, spears, and swords. And all of your units have that distinction or they're a magic unit or a healing unit. So you're kind of sitting there really thinking about the party you're bringing to every battle because, you know, you could fight a battle and fail and be like, I fought all guys with swords and all I had was guys with spears, which is strong against swords. So... You know, you're thinking about the party you're bringing, and then once you get there, you're really thinking about the positioning of your units to win the battles. So um, I'm actually a fan of the game. Um, it's free, again, so I, I've sort of been recommending it to everybody, even people I know that don't like mobile games, because, uh, again, I hate mobile games. And I've been playing it a lot. Like, I'm on Chapter 8, and I would say I've gotten a serious number of hours out of a game that I basically haven't paid for, and the story is sort of minimalist, but it's presented in basically the a format that is the Lost Odyssey novel sections, but only like one or two pages of text. And, uh, you know, it's the sort of thing where if you're really into strategy gameplay and like the more cerebral aspects of a puzzle game, I think it's a fantastic fusion of those things. Um, I, I really, I can't say enough good things about the combat itself. Uh, it's just the kind of game that has very little crap in the way. It's just like you get in, and you're fighting battles, and they're really, really strategic and really fun. Mm-hmm. Is this only available on mobile platforms right now? So they're doing this thing called the download starter, which mm-hmm. is sort of like a Kickstarter. But every milestone the game gets for every hundred thousand, they're adding things to it. So like they hit two hundred thousand, and Nobu Uematsu added a new boss theme. They hit four hundred thousand, and you know a, a famous artist did a character. And the highest download goal is that. Uh, What's his name? Uh, guy that did the, the concept art for uh, Final Fantasy 1 through, like, 7. Uh, you mean Amano? Yeah, Amano's going to add a you character. Forgo- oh, that's right. You're not a big Amano fan. Sorry, I forgot. Amano's going to add a character to, to it. But so, and so you have all these cool characters that are designed by famous artists in the Japanese gaming scene. Um, but some of the milestones are, like, we'll release a soundtrack for everybody. And one of the milestones is we will release a Vita version. And it's easily going to get there because, like, in, like, a week of being out, it's at, like, 900,000 or something. So um, they're going to add a Vita version. But this is the thing is that this is not a game that would be improved by buttons. This is sort of like if you played the first Puzzle Quest, Puzzle Quest was completely better on DS than it was on PSP because it was a game that sort of expected you to be able to, to touch the screen. And you wouldn't be able to play it quickly enough because of, so, again... When you go to make your move, you basically have a meter that rapidly drains. And once that drains, your turn is over. And if you haven't moved everyone into position, you won't attack. Uh So you could not possibly play it with an analog stick or a D-pad because you couldn't move. The way you have to move your tile to slide across other tiles and move around the board to get things where they need to be couldn't be done with an analog stick. So it it could – it would probably not work on the DS because the screen's too small. Um but I could see it. Like the Vita version is a good idea, I think, because that's a, a system where you could touch the screen to move it around. But even then, I actually, and this is sort of sacrilege for me, I actually think I'd rather play it on my phone than the Vita because it's the kind of game where, you know, you sit down, you play it for 20 minutes, and then you take a break for a few hours. And, uh, you know, the, the just the structure of it is like, if I take out my Vita, I'm going to, I want to play a lengthier game or something with buttons or something that's, really going to be like, you know, I have to sit down for an hour and play this versus this is like very much well suited to these are quick battles that take a few minutes each. Um, so I think it's really well suited to the platform. But yeah, to, that was a roundabout way to say it's coming to beat it. Mm-hmm. OK, cool. 
I'm I'm mildly interested. You know, I always want to know what the original creator of Final Fantasy is up to. You know, it's kind of a bummer that we're not getting Lost Odyssey 2. I know some people really, really like that game. But, you know, maybe this is a good thing for Mistwalker. I think that they were kind of pushed out there as these are the guys who are going to make the next great Final Fantasy or JRPG for the Xbox 360. And then they did. uh, All right. Um, (laughs) Lost Odyssey was Final Fantasy in everything but name. Yeah, I mean, down to having two twins in the game that, you know, it's just repeating old stuff. But, you know, maybe that's good. Maybe that's a good thing. If it played well, you know, it didn't... I don't think it really grabbed audiences the way that Microsoft was hoping. Was that for Xbox or Xbox 360? 360, right? Xbox 360. And it didn't grab audiences the way they were hoping because Microsoft thought that the big money was in JRPGs at the time. And then they figured out it was in Call of Duty, and then they were like, oh, we're done with JRPGs. Call of Duty, Call of Duty, Call of Duty. But, uh, you know... It could be really, really good for these guys to have some kind of success, to kind of get a foothold again. They're talented dudes. I mean, say what you will about Lost Odyssey, that game does have a following, and it could have been something really, really nice. I just don't think gamers were that interested in that at at that point. You know, So maybe this is good for them. Maybe this will let them kind of earn it a little bit more, and we might see something better out of them in the future. Well, the only issue with that is that their last three games have been mobile games, so I, I don't know that they're going to be going back to console development anymore. Or they just keep making mobile games, you know? Uh, that's, in at least in the Japanese market, that's sort of where, that's the only expanding sector at the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, console gaming is dropping off, uh, handheld gaming is dropping off a little bit. Uh, not not quite as much. Um, actually, no, I can't. Can't corroborate that second fact, but console gaming is definitely dropping. So the money is definitely in mobile in Japan right now. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Cool. So Terra Battle. Interesting. Go check it out. And apparently you don't have to pay for it, which is nice. Always a plus. Derek, what up? Oh, God. I forgot he wasn't here. I'm just so used to it. Kyle, what else you do you have to the, talk to us about? If you read the website, you might know the names. Of the people Would you stop? Like, you guys, <laughs> now you're just all being mean to me. I am tired and uh, lots of been... Uh, shut up. Kyle, what else have you been playing? Uh, Grimrock 2. Okay, tell me about Grimrock. I don't even know what Fantastic. that is. You don't even know what it is. I don't even know what Grimrock is. Legend of Grimrock. I don't read the website, remember? You read Steam, the though. Legend- so The Legend of Grimrock 2, which is the one I just played, is a sequel to The Legend of Grimrock, obviously. It's a PC dungeon crawler, very much inspired by, you know, the dungeon crawlers of old, which I actually really did. I didn't grow up on those. That's not why I like Grimrock. It's, nostalgia has nothing to do with it. I just think it's a fantastic um, formula, just the, the between the atmosphere, the combat... Uh, the, the leveling up just it's great and the second one does everything pretty much everything that the first one does and it does it more it does it better it's bigger um, just it's so the first one was in one massive dungeon but the second one is on an island so they took it out of the dungeon and put it really in an open world it's pretty nonlinear um, in the beginning, it's it's linear for a few hours, and then you get to a sort of a you get to basically the center of the island, and you can essentially go in about two to four different directions, and it just works out really well because let's say you go to the bog and you get stuck because there's an enemy you can't beat or there's a puzzle that you're frustrated with, 
So you go to the ruins instead, and while you're in the ruins, you think, oh, I know how to solve that puzzle now, because you're thinking about it. And you just, you know, you needed the time to step away from it. So then maybe you get stuck in the ruins, so you can go back to the bog, solve that puzzle, and then continue on that way. And it's all balanced really well. I never got to an area, and I was absolutely overwhelmed by the enemies. Um, and none of it, it's all pretty equally difficult. So it's really well balanced, which is awesome, considering there's only like, I think, two main designers to it um, and some playtesters. But yeah, the most, they, they just do so many creative and imaginative things with the open world. And I, I don't want to say too much about it because essentially anything is a spoiler, but you will be, you're, you'll be surprised by what you are capable of, what your characters can actually do, um, and what enemies can do, and what is in the island. Like, there's some nasty surprises. <laughs> Cool, cool. Uh, hmm. I liked the first one. I thought it looked cool, and I liked the combat, but I sort of just never played it. Like, I, I bought it, and then was like, okay, and then I played it for 30 minutes and stopped. Uh, I'm very excited to try this one out. I really like the island setting, and I love the idea that they've sort of incorporated that puzzle element. Because, as we know, I all really love those kinds of puzzles. Uh, so to have that with this sort of old-school uh, dungeon crawler gameplay sounds awesome. Yeah, Steven, I think you'd like it. If it's definitely one of those games where, like, even if you didn't like the first one that much, try it out because it's pretty different. Um, if you, you know, and I think the dungeon, the first one, just the single dungeon, kind of repetitive. I think that could definitely turn people off. And this one is anything but repetitive. It's constantly surprising. There's new stuff around every corner. And yeah, the puzzle elements are just astounding. I mean, I was so frustrated with this game. I hated it. I was cursing it. Um, but after you figure it out, it's like amazing. You feel, you feel awesome. And it definitely has that kind of, it reminds me of Dark Souls 2 in that there are certain paths that you can't go down and you're not sure why you can't go down them. You're not sure if you need an item or if you're just missing something. And it kind of has that like interlocking puzzle box kind of feel. And I, I just love that kind of thing. Well, when you when you say it like that, I'm I'm thinking more like uh, the Legend of Zelda or the Batman games, where you get an item or an upgrade that allows you to go down a new path. Is that kind of what you're talking about here, Kyle? Or no, it's more like so. Like in Dark Souls, there's like the petrified person. Okay. Okay. And you need like an item to unpetrify them. It's more like that. More like where certain doors you need an item, mm -hmm. or sometimes you just need information. Like, you'll need the knowledge that's in a scroll somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So it's almost, it's not like you get an item and it opens up mm -hmm. new ads because of its ability. Um, but it's, it's more organic than that, I guess. One thing I was thinking about the other day, and you, you bring it up with this game, and I, I was thinking about it a little bit as I was playing The Evil Within, but, so it's not me trying to segue into that, but I'm starting to like games that kind of have hidden depth. You know what I mean? Like, you're playing a game, and you think that you've kind of figured out every way that it plays. Like, oh, okay, I shoot this guy, I do this thing. But I'm starting to like games that give me a lot of tools, and they just let me naturally figure out how to do it. I thought the first Bioshock did a great job of that. Like, here's a ton of tools. 
do what you want with them, figure out strategies. Like at, at one point, Steven was talking about how he beat an enemy in the evil within, like laying trap mines for them to kind of cover his bases. And I was like, that is a really good idea. And I didn't think of that like that. I'm really liking games that give you the resources as a player and then just kind of back away and see what kind of ideas you come up with. It might not be exactly what the developers had in mind, but isn't it cool when a game just kind of lets you do your thing, like figure out how to beat it any way you want? I actually think Witcher 2 was pretty good about that too. And that, Because it's almost like a little surprise, and if a game can surprise you after after you've played hundreds of games, then that's something special. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, you know what I really want out of a dungeon simulator, and it's uh, one of the reasons why I want to talk to the Darkest Dungeon guys again, and I think we're getting closer to release for that game. I just like the management style of like a dungeon crawler, like having to manage the health of your, your characters and their weapons. And you know, with that game, you're going to have the insanity effects and stuff and making sure that they have good mental health. I really like that kind of stuff. I like the stuff that makes my party feel more human. In a way, if that makes sense, not just okay. Yeah. Do we have enough ammo to get through this? You know, how's your health doing? I, I like that those intricacies, those little payoffs here yeah, and there like that make it, yeah makes your party Grimark feel has, more real. Grimark doesn't have a ton of that. They do have uh, hunger mm-hmm. and some like injuries and stuff like that, and health obviously. Um, so there's a little bit of that with 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 uh, Grimrock too. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. And I think you have one more game to talk about, Kyle, to put you back on the spot again right away. Um, well, I played Never Ending Nightmares. There's not a ton to say about that. Um, you can re- read the review. <laughs> but I just finished Costume Quest, um, and we'll have a review up shortly. Costume Quest, Costume Quest 2, actually, mm-hmm. um, which was very not as good as the original. Um, and the original is pretty flawed. Um, just really simple, repetitive. And honestly, I felt it was kind of cheap, kind of rushed. Oh, really? Um, Is that a double fine game? Yeah. Okay. Do we have any word on? Isn't there like another episode of Broken Age that's supposed to come out at some point, or is that? Yeah, what happened to that, Stephen? Do you? Uh, so I keep pretty close tabs on it. They haven't announced it strictly yet, but they are working on it and have been sort of talking about when it's coming. And I, it sounds like they're aiming for like early 2015. Okay. Uh, did anybody? Because I want it now. Did anybody play the Hyper Light Drifter um, free weekend? They had like a free beta week of it. Did anybody play that or no? Oh, I had no idea they did that. No, I yeah. played it at E3 and I thought it was neat. Yeah, I really like what I played of that. There's just so many. Like, I I need an easier way to keep tabs on all these indie games. Like, there there was been a you know, of course it's October, so there's been tons of like, here are the top fifteen upcoming horror titles, and most of them I was like, yeah, I'd give that a shot. That gets back to what Stephen was talking about. Like, if the barrier of entry is a low price point, I'll readily pick something up just to give it a whirl, just to give it a try. And so, you know, but trying to keep track of all these indie titles and when they come up, it can be kind of tough. Like, you guys remember Routine? Like, I'm still ra- waiting for Routine no. to come out. That's like the uh, kind of amnesia in space uh, by the studio that's focused in on, like, permadeath, and it takes place on this lunar base. It looks phenomenal. They've had, they've said nothing for almost a year. And I'm like, I'd really like well, to know more about that. Well, like, to an extent, too, these are also developers that don't have PR teams. And exactly. Like they're, exactly. You know, they're sort of hunkered down building the game, so it's like they don't have time to be like, today we worked on this. It's like, no, I have to go work on it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I guess the only thing that I was playing outside of uh, some horror games for the month of October was uh, I'm still trying to play Wasteland 2, and I am just... Z. 
I want to. I, I don't agree with your assessment there. And I, I know that I'm the minority here. You you guys aren't really digging on Wasteland Two. I like it. I just find it an absolute chore to play at times. I feel like I'm hurting <laughs> cats. It's not a very pleasant UI experience, and I didn't feel that way with Divinity. Like for all my problems with Divinity, I didn't feel like the game was fighting me when it comes to like its user interface and stuff. I, it, I, I think it sort of comes from that old school design to it. Like again. The reason, one of the reasons I'm not a fan of Wasteland is that I feel like it's just checking boxes, and one of those boxes is not necessarily a box, but so the old Fallout was very, you have to click on 50 million things to do stuff, and that was fine in that age of development, but UI has sort of come further since then, and so for me, I was sort of hoping Wasteland 2 would feel more modern with those kind, with that kind of old school complexity to the systems underlying it, whereas it's very much a, we have an old UI, we have older system so it's like to do anything you have to click 400 different things and that's not inherently a problem to me because i like having control but there are ways to give you the exact same amount of control without requiring that you click and click and click and click and click yeah whenever i have to open up a box or something and the game is landmine crazy and trap crazy to the point of just like okay here's another box i need to open up okay get all my party over here have the one person with lock pick go up okay you're gonna pick the lock all right now but now i have to bring everybody back over because you can't transfer items unless they're really close to you sometimes it's stuff like that that is just making it irksome to play like it's it's just like I'm fiddling, fiddling is my word of the day, apparently. I'm just fiddling with the keyboard and the mouse to the point where it's not fun right now. It's kind of, it's making it very difficult to play, as silly as that may sound. It's kind of like how, um, you guys remember Kingdoms of Amalur? One of the best things that game did was the junk button. Like, being able to just be like, well, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. And that just made it so it was so much easier to go to shops and sell stuff. So you're not sitting there at this inventory screen for a long period of time. It's sort of like how Diablo 3 and the most recent patch added the ability to instantly break down all your items of a certain type. Yep. Yep. You know, it cuts you from being there in a minute or two to, I click three buttons and then I'm back to playing. See, I think there's an interesting balance that needs to be achieved between automation and uh you know manual yeah because i think a lot of a lot of the times triple a and modern games are associated with things being automated Mm -hmm. or you know very streamlined and i agree i don't like that either but then i think some stuff is too far on the other end where it's like this is inconvenient because it's cool and (laughs) i mean it's they take it too far, I think. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand what you're saying. And th- one of the games that is jumping out in my mind again, and I'm, I'm glad Kyle's here because we can rag on this game like crazy, Dragon's Dogma was probably the <laughs> nastiest, <laughs> the absolute... So bad. that The nastiest UI I have ever seen in a game. Like, that it was just baffling. The sloppiest game I have ever played. The popularity of Dragon's Dogma baffles me as much as the continued popularity of Monster Hunter. I just don't get, like, again, there's the argument, well, you just don't get the controls. No, a game shouldn't have obtuse controls as a barrier to entry. That's what's wrong with a lot of advanced fighting games. I shouldn't have to hyper back cancel into my sword attack to jump on the dragon's head while I'm using my combo meter to burst rocket. It's just stupid. Well, that's that's the depth that we were talking about a few minutes ago. When there's hidden depth in the game, there's like tactical. I, I think I like okay. Tactical that's that's depth. true. Yes. Yeah. And and those games certainly have that depth, but I 
don't like the way they input it. Although I haven't played a Monster Hunter since the first one on PlayStation and the PSP one. So. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start calling the Evil Within Twee. Is am I okay to do that or a tau- I'm just gonna call it Twee. I'm That's a little Twee of you. I'm I'm gonna call it Twee. <laughs> and Twee is awesome in. I that. don't think the Evil Within is Twee though, so I don't know if you can call it that. Uh, shut up. Well. Yeah. Uh, but in Twee... It's Twe, I suppose. Is it Twe? Is it, no, because then you would have the W before the... It, it, it doesn't really work either way. I hate all of you. I really do. Okay, anywho. In the Evil Within, I'm just tired of saying the Evil Within all the time. Um, it, you get these bolts that, like, freeze people. And I was using those as kind of like a grenade, eventually, where I would huddle up in a corner, or I would kind of run around the environment and get a bunch of people following me, and then freeze all of them, and then just start whacking the crap out of them to burst them. And that was like a hidden gameplay design there. Like, that was something that was kind of nice for me to try, and I, I learned it myself. You know, there was another time where I was held up in a building, and I used what Steven was talking about, like a landmine by the door, and then I waited at the other door. My landmine tripped. Okay, now I know people are at the other door. That kind of... It, I don't like to say emergent because all of a sudden that got a negative connotation a few years ago because it was a buzzword. It was a checkbox that everybody was putting into their games. But I like that sort of thing. And you look at a game like Dragon Age 2, I felt like they were trying to streamline certain aspects of that game by, you know, not having armor for your party members. Like you couldn't outfit every single aspect of your party. Some gamers really, really like that. When I'm playing wasteland 2 and i have to upgrade every skill on all five of my party now six of my party members right now that's getting a little frustrating like now i'm not enjoying the level up process i get to a level up and i'm like oh god now i gotta sit here and put all my skill points in and it's it's feeling very unfocused but at the same time, the developers are hearing that gamers want that micromanagement. They want to have that sort of stuff. So it, it's like I do want to have that. Balance. I I do want to have that. Yeah, but a you have to balance good, though, A bad sign is when leveling up becomes no fun because that's always like that's like a the best part of a lot of games. You know, it's like it's supposed yeah, to be, like sorry, good. It's supposed to be like the the reward, <laughs> and when that's tedious, you know you yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, that's a great way to describe it. Like, there are some games, like, for example, let me think of a terrible game. Uh, Dungeons & Dragons Daggerdale. Terrible game. Um, Level up, meaningless, stupid, boring, not fun. Getting new skills isn't even fun in that game. Versus, like, and again, we'll use one of my recent favorites. Leveling up a divinity is awesome because there are so many choices you can make on your character. And at least in my experience you hit those certain thresholds and it's like all of a sudden you have this new spate of spells or abilities available to you. And then even when you've maxed out, most games tend to be like you reach the sort of upper high level of a skill and then it's like, well, nothing interesting is going to happen now. And up to that point in Divinity, five is the max, is the cap for a skill. You know, you've had a limit. Like I can only know 10 skills of this type. Then you get to the max and you can suddenly have all of the spells in that school. So it's like even when you get to the max level, now all of a sudden you have even more tools that you might not have been using because you didn't you chose not to. Um, that makes it exciting, and it even it puts you in a situation where in most games I'm like I just want to dump all my points in to get stronger. In Divinity, there were often times where I would wait on a level to get that like extended gratification of like yeah I didn't get anything this level I got maybe a new spell but I saved my skill points and then by saving them now I got something crazy good at the next level. 
I like where you just went there because I was thinking about that. I can f- sometimes find that to be very frustrating. Like the promise of something down the line, like I could use this skill point right now, but once I hit level 10, I open up these new skills. Why don't I hold on to that skill point and use it later? If the game gives me that sort of feedback right away, I can do that sort of thing. But I really liked leveling up in Fallout 3 in New Vegas because you immediately got a perk. And you always wanted to have that perk. Like, as soon as you leveled up, it was a big deal. You now had something that gave you, like, you know, plus 20% to headshots. Like, that was an awesome feeling. I really like that. If the game communicates it to me well that, okay, you can save your skill point right now because down the line you get to do this, then then I'm okay with it. There's also this weird metagame thing going on with Wasteland 2 where when you level up, you instantly heal on the on all but the hardest difficulty, I think. You, you instantly heal. So I'm actually saving level ups for when I need them to heal my party. I think a couple of my characters actually have gained like almost two levels. But I'm still waiting around because like medkits are sometimes in such short supply. It starts being this really weird metagame moment of just like... I don't want to level up because I'm not going to reap all the benefits of leveling up. It's like when you get a green and a yellow herb in Resident Evil 4, and you're like, well, I could use this now and gain all my health and get a, like a little boost, or I could get a red herb and use it all when I need to later. That, that's kind of a weird metagame thing that starts to... I, I don't know how I feel about it. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. I usually don't. I know exactly what you're talking about, and I, I usually don't like to have to make that decision. And I've started... Just like not caring, and just I've been much, I've been more of an impulsive gamer lately, or just like I'll use the items. And like, you know, the old, in, in like old Final Fantasies, you'll end up with, with like a ton of really powerful items at the end of the game, and you never use them. You know, yep. you'll have like 99 elixirs and a bunch of other stuff. But you but never I've know when start- you needed them, Kyle. You never <laughs> yeah, know when I've you ac- needed them. I've actually sat, sort of gotten out of the saving my items phase too. Like, you know, when I played Resident Evil 4 the first time, although now. It's different because I know the game so well, but like, you know, it's like I got to stockpile everything and I never, ever want to use an awesome weapon unless I have to. And, you know, I'm playing like the Evil Within or Suikoden 2 and Suikoden 2, it's like, hey, you got this really cool healing. I'd use it right now. It's like, oh, a boss got me to low HP, fully heal, I win. Yeah, I like games that force you to use some stuff. Like I used all my my Magnum rounds in Twee and I was like... Okay, I don't tell me what the guns are. I didn't know it was a magnum. Yeah, there's a magnum, and it's Stop. really good. It's Stop. really good. Of course, it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a magnum. I mean, come on, dude. It's not the broken butterfly, but come on. That was another thing they did really badly in the pacing in that game is they gave you bullets for guns before you had the guns, and then you mysteriously got two of them at the same time. Yeah, yeah, that was lame. Yeah, the but, beginning the beginning of Twee is not very good, but it gets better. It does. Uh, so you you kind of snuck one in there on us, Stephen, a little game that you have been um, playing constantly At whenever I text you. Long last, I have been playing Suikoden 2. Uh, backstory, I'm sure I've mentioned this before. First Suikoden I played was 3. I absolutely hated it. Uh, I got it when it came out. I heard great things, and I just despised it. I hated the combat. I hated the music. Well, the battle music. The rest of the music is pretty good. This was uh, Suikoden 3, correct? Yes, this was okay. the first PS2 one, and it was the one that had multiple main characters that you sort of switch between. And I've, you know, the the joke with Suikoden for me so far has sort of been like every time I say I'm playing 2, I get 30 people going, well, I, this is my preference for the series, and they're all different. Everyone's like, I think 1's better than 2. I think 5 is the best. I think 3 is the best. 4 is underrated. You know, yada, yada, yada. The only thing that seems consistent is that people don't like four, uh, except for the people who do. 
so I've also played five and I liked five. I didn't beat it because um, I lost interest or something or went to college. I don't remember. Uh, but I want to go back and play it now because two is one of those games that's sort of like it's like a unicorn at this point. You can't get it digitally anywhere unless you live in Japan. Um, came out. Of, uh, there was a PSP release of it that never got released here. It was sort of a, a cleaned up, um, a cleaned up compilation of one and two on PSP that never came out here, which is a shame because it looks gorgeous. Um, but this is that sort of you know the unicorn of gaming you just can't play it and it was a giant pain for me to track it down but now that i'm finally playing it when i first started i sort of was like i think i mentioned the rob metric before i go to myself after playing an hour of a game i go would rob hate this game and like i found that in my real life i started looking at games thinking what complaints is rob going to have about this game and uh so i'm playing squeak and i'm like well the game starts out slow rob's gonna be mad that it's boring uh, yeah, that's not very nice. No, no, hold on, hold on. <laughs> the, this is this is meant to be. I use you as a good critical lens to make myself more critical because I'm. I tend to be, except when I'm not. I tend to be, you know, a little bit more optimistic on things. But so I'm playing the introduction, and it actually, once it clicked for me that this is an older game, and the pacing is a little bit older in terms of, you know you're sort of in a, an extended series of you have to go exactly where someone tells you for the first, you know, maybe hour or two. Um, and then there's sort of, it opens up a lot where it's like you can kind of go to these cities in any order. There is a, a, a linear narrative you need to follow. But then there are times where it's like, you know, you have to go here and you have to go here. And then there's a time where it's like, hey, go recruit some people for us. And it's just like, hey, go explore the world map and meet people and see their stories. And uh, the more I play it, the more I really love it. Um at first, the combat system seems sort of basic. It's just, you know, you physical attack, you have a rune. Each character can have three runes on their head, their hands, or their their, their forehead or their left and right hand. Uh, some characters can't use every slot. Do animals can't use equipment in certain ways. But, uh, you know, you hear all these things about the series, like, oh, it's the 108 Stars of Destiny. Oh, the bad guy is so dark and sweet and too. And this is the rare case where I really sort of feel like a lot of the hype I've heard is very merited um meritorious uh the combat is very fast especially for a game that came out when it did um you know battles end in matter of seconds there's an auto battle option for when you just want to attack enemies don't take 50 million hits to kill there's not a huge amount of grinding required um it sort of has that chrono cross aspect of we have a lot of characters although it has way like has way more than chrono cross uh, there's the 108 stars of destiny which is sort of part of the suite of dead mythology and um, so there's lots of playable characters and some of them are better fleshed out than others. You know, you'll get a character who's like a samurai passed out from hunger in a town. And if you spend a bunch of money buying him food, he'll join you. And since then, he hasn't said anything, but he looks cool. Then you'll get characters who are involved with the plot in sort of arcs, like with Final Fantasy Tactics. When you have the Mustadio arc where he's an important character and then he sort of disappears. Um, but it's also like Chrono Cross where the people you choose to have in your party do have dialogue during cutscenes, and it's sort of their dialogue. But it's really been kind of a... It's just, it has this, like, weird charm that is just, it feels very, like, more heartfelt than... It's it's hard to articulate, but basically what I've been saying is that this game is it has what most modern JRPGs lack, which is that most modern JRPGs are... He's a really over-elaborate combat system and a ridiculous amount of fan service, and... Uh, you know, a battle arena because you need side quests. 
Suikoden is very much a game that sort of the experience of playing the game is the enjoyable part. Um, you know, you get invested in the character relationships. The music is just really great. Um, the the sprites, there are so many different kinds of sprites. Like, it amazes me. Because, you know, the, the sort of trajectory of games I played was like, you know, Final Fantasy VI and stuff and Fantasy Stars, where there aren't that many custom sprites for the characters. It's like they have their hands-in-the-air sprite for celebrating, and then they have their walking sprite. You know, and in Fantasy Star 4, when he did the sword moves, that, that was crazy because it was different sprites. But in this case, it's like there's sprites for – every character has a sprite for eating. They have a sprite for hugging, and, like, it's not like an awkward, weird hug. Like, there's a sequence where your char- main character's best friend is sort of comforting this little girl whose parents have been killed in a war. And, like, it's just this – honest and really hard to sort of convey sense of like legitimacy to the emotions that they're conveying despite the terrible translation like it's sort of hard to articulate but this is a game that's sort of about its characters and it has flaws but it's also about the story of the world and i know we we had this conversation a while back where it's like you know, is this game about the story of the world or is it the story of characters? You know, Chrono Cross is the story of the world and Surge and very few characters. Suikoden is sort of about both because it manages to do that really narrow balancing act of, you know, this is a personal story about your character and his sister and, and his best friend and the people around them, but it's also about all these other small stories that you encounter and sort of resolve. Um but then it's also this story of this war happening in your homeland where this crazy dude named Luca Blight is like murdering children and burning down villages because he's just an asshole. Uh, it's it's really fantastic. I, I have a lot of good things to say about it. It's got the sort of side quest thing that I miss, even from like my favorite RPGs lately, like, you know, like Persona 4 has side content, but it still sort of all just boils down to, you know, different ways to fight battles. Uh, or different battle, secret boss battles. And I, 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 it's that weird sort of X factor that I think is lacking from a lot of modern RPGs where the side content is experience. Like, you know, in Suikoden, you could walk off to a town that you went to earlier if you heard a rumor in another town of like, hey, as an, here's an example. There's, uh, you go to a town, there's a bridge in this town, and you leave, and while you're in the next town, you hear some guy who's like, I heard that the town over, there was like a bunch of guys attacking women on the bridge. You know, what a jerk. And so if you go and fill your party full of women characters and cross the bridge, you get you get jumped and your dude, you know, you, you end up having this entire small storyline with this mercenary who shows up and starts like kicking the crap out of the guys who are attacking women. And then you get a new party member if you if you let her join or you can tell her no. And there, there's tons of little moments like that where it's like there's tiny just story beats that could get you a character or they could get you a new person to go to your castle who can now like blacksmith stuff for you or somebody who can build an elevator in your castle. Like if you have this weird, funny conversation with like a mad doctor, he'll end up joining you and he'll go build an elevator in your castle so you can get around it faster. Uh, It's just all kinds of stuff like that. That is really hard to put my finger on. And I wouldn't be able to even tell you what about it. It is that I, I like so much just that it's what I feel like most JRPGs lack nowadays. I have, Two questions. Okay. Sure. You ready? First, ready. should you play Suikoden 1 before you play Suikoden 2? So, uh, I did not. A lot of people say you should because it's sort of, I guess, the history I, as I understand it is that the creator of Suikoden 2 wanted to make that game. But then he realized that it was it was too ambitious. So they went and they made Suikoden 1 
which sets up almost everything in Suikoden 2. You know, it sets up the world. You get a lot of the same party members to the point where you transfer your save data and their levels will transfer um, to an extent. You know, it's it's a little balanced. Um, you know, there are villains that get set up in Suikoden 1 that you get the resolution of them in 2. And that's not to say I've also heard that 1 is a complete storyline, but, you know, like there's a recurring bad guy who appears in the first one and you defeat him. But then it turns out it's a little more complicated than that. And he shows up again in two. Um, and there's a lot of that stuff I've sort of been reading. You know, the the protagonist from the first week then appears in two as a recruitable party member. And if you imported your save data, he's got the name you gave him in the first one. Um, but there's this whole side plot that you can't do if you didn't do the first one. And I may have used the game shark in order to flag my save that I did play the first one because I wanted to because uh, I just, you know, I don't have time to play it twice. Um, so I've heard from a lot of people that it's worth playing. I did not. And I don't feel like I've missed anything. But I do get the sense that there is a lot of history because there are characters who will meet up and be like, oh, man, it's been a long time. How's it going? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, they must know each other. It's not the sort of thing where you don't know what's going on at all because the game is self-contained. But it's that sort of thing where I'm like, I think I'd appreciate... It's like Shadow Hearts 1 and 2. You don't need to play Shadow Hearts 1 to play 2. But you'll appreciate who Alice is a lot more in 2 if you've played 1. Yeah. Okay. And then the other question is, how do we get this thing to America? I don't know. Ask, uh... Well, what's the thing? The Suikoden in Revival Project. They've been trying for a while. Mm. Uh, Konami's Twitch stream was playing it recently. And it's just... You know, I, I don't know what it is. I, I've been pretty down on Konami lately. You know, their whole, like, we don't we want the COD money, so we're going to make Metal Gear a big franchise. And I'm like, you guys realize that you are never, ever, ever going to do COD money with Metal Gear, ever. Mm-hmm. And your yearly soccer spinoffs are not going to replace you abandoning all of your classic franchises. Like, I mean, <laughs> Castlevania's not getting a game for a couple of years. We all know that. Um, oh, really? I thought we might get another one. I mean, wasn't Lords of Shadow 2 just welcomed with... Okay, I'm going to stop with the cynicism. Yeah, just, let's just stop. And then, you know... That was mean. I'm sorry. The Suikoden series is like, hey, we can't make any money off that, so it's gone. You know, I'm a little down on Konami right now because I do think... And I'm sure they'll come around like a lot of other developers have because everybody for a while had that rush of, we got to do COD money. You know, Square Enix did it, Capcom did it, and they're all sort of learning that you can't get COD money by abandoning everything that you are known for and changing what you are known for to suit what you think is an audience that doesn't want to play your game anyway. Yeah. People ah. who people who play Call of Duty, and this is a blanket statement and not true to everybody, the general crowd of people who are buying Call of Duty and not other games are not buying Final Fantasy and they never are going to. Yeah. It's, it's a little really, bit overlap, but... It's really disappointing to me because Konami was one of... The, I think Konami and Capcom were two, like giant companies in the PlayStation and PlayStation 2 days, and they kind of lost themselves a little bit in the PlayStation 3 era. Like, they kind of... You know, there were good games scattered about here and there. I don't think Lords of Shadow 1 was an awful game. It's very poorly paced, but it has good moments. Resident Evil 5 looks pretty good when you hold it up to Resident Evil 6 now, doesn't it? I mean, there's... there's I enjoyed Resident Evil 5, but it's also... uh, Sorry, I... I, It was sort of anecdotal to your point, but yeah. But... uh, it's just a shame that they it's like they didn't quite know how to transition to the HD generation. And now they're people are clamoring for these games. They really want them, but there's these unrealistic expectations about how much they're going to cost and this, you know, it, is it worth it to try to make it? You know, we're, we're still sitting around. Uh, Kim actually wrote a really nice thing over at Game Informer about Dragon Quest. Kim Wallace, a former RPG fan staff, and she talked about how thank you Wesley talked about how 
Dragon Quest Seven, that 3DS remake, people are clamoring for it, but we're probably not going to get it because it's not selling the kind of numbers that Square Enix is interested in. And he which, just and what's what's weird about that too is I I was sort of going to argue that I think Indian Kickstarter has started to show the bigger developers that like it's okay to have part of your revenue stream be a small game that did reasonable numbers. You right. know, manage your budget and expectations and the amount of effort and time you put into a game. And if it doesn't do 10 billion copies, it can still be a success. And, you know, like, look at um, Ubisoft did Child of Light, and then they did uh, the, the war game. I can't remember what it's Valiant called. Valiant Hearts, yeah. Valiant Hearts. And those games were sort of well-received. And, you know, I doubt they cost as much money as an Assassin's Creed did. And I doubt they made as much money as an Assassin's Creed did. But that's still a source of revenue. And, you know, you have to think about this. These companies are not your friend. They're companies, no matter how good their social media manager is. And, you know, they could be doing what they're, you know, like Sony. Sony generally is seen lately as sort of doing what players want them to do. It's still a company. They still need to do things that make them money. And that's sort of like I, I point to Namco Bandai as this. They've sort of figured out the exact amount of money to spend on a Tales localization to get it to make money. Is it doing the numbers of, you know, a Final Fantasy or Call of Duty? No, but it's not It's not designed to do that. It's designed to appeal to people who like to play traditional chicken and potatoes comfort food JRPGs and yeah. you know with the exception of Tales of Excelia being incredibly mediocre in every way even among Tales games um, I love Tales games but it's just bad uh, uninspired not bad um, you know you you have to release games for people to buy games and to get get it back around to Konami if all you release is a Metal Gear game every two years and a, and a soccer game every year that's released by most metrics not as good as FIFA and no, no, they don't have near the money that an EA does to make new features. It's like, of course your profits are going to go down. Mm-hmm. Like if, you know, and again, it could be a case of vocal minority, but there are a lot of people clamoring for, hey, we would really like to legally buy Suikoden 2 on the PlayStation Network or any platform. Um, I, the fact that that's not available yet blows my mind. I'm like, just, why would you have this game that exists? And part of it could also be that, again, the localization of Suikoden 2 is very rough. I heard it was very low budget and they had like basically like a week to do it or something. Uh, the lo- the localization is so rough that there are parts of the code in the game that were broken by it. There are these battles. So there's, there's turn-based battles where, you know, that's six party members. Then there are these duels where it's just your protagonist versus another character and it plays this super cool music. It's like, you know, when you're fighting a major bad guy and it's like, we're going to fight to end this war and, you know, it's a really cool cinematic sequence that you're in control of. And then there are these sort of uh, grid-based strategy RPG battles where you're moving your military units around a, ba- a battlefield to like, defend something. Uh, there are three battle themes for the military battles, and two of them don't play because the localization was so bad that it glitched the code of the game. And so you fight those battles in silence. Um, it just couldn't handle it. Like, the Japanese version has the music playing, but they broke it. That's how rushed it was. Uh, <laughs> you almost you almost kind of hope that maybe Sony would reach out. Like, with them doing, just like you were saying, really being a company that, at least on the surface, I mean, they want to make a profit, of course, but on the surface, they're going out of their way to give gamers what they want. There's been a lot of conversations about, apparently, there, there's a big thing in December, and they have, like, earth-shattering news. It would not surprise me if it was, like, the new Red Dead game was a PlayStation oh, man, 4 exclusive. That they're They're going out of their way to make gamers happy. I think they need to reach across to some of these companies that kind of don't have it all together, and they're not... And I, 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 
they're not listening and be like, hey, give it to us. We'll do it. And I, I think we'll they're, they're actually doing that. Like Shahid Kamal and stuff and like a lot of their team is doing that. And I, I sort of – you know, I have this conversation a lot with my roommate and I think we talked about it too, Rob. There's the whole like – Think of a grocery store. You go to a grocery store, you buy groceries there every day for the whole time you live somewhere. You know, years and years you're buying groceries weekly. You're doing tons of business. So you go in one day and the food you bought is rotten. And you take it to the store and they give you a total hassle. They're like, oh, well, you probably ate the food. You didn't bring the food and you just brought the package. And they hassle you. What are you going to do? You're probably going to go to another grocery store. Mm -hmm. Is the money they've saved not giving you a free bag of cheese going to make up for the profit they've lost? No. So give them the bag of cheese. It's small. It's not going to make you much money. Or in this case, you're going to lose a little money, but you're going to keep lifetime customer. Extrapolate that to a game company. If all you ever release is Metal Gear every four years, that's all you're known for. But if you say, hey, we might take a hit. Or we might not make a ton of money on this product we're going to release, but it's going to engender goodwill and it's going to make people want to try out our other games. That's good business. And I think a lot of developers, especially Sony, are realizing that, no, Somebody's not going to buy a new console for, you know, or like, you know, we'll even give Microsoft some credit. Nobody's going to buy a console for Phantom Dust other than me. But if you keep releasing these smaller things that people want to play, eventually it's going to stack up and you're going to result in a situation where it's like, hey, there actually are a ton of games I want to play in this. I'm going to get it. So that's really a roundabout way of me saying I really want them to just do an HD re-release of Suikoden with, you know, just repaint the graphics a little bit and redo the translation and good to go maybe that's why it hasn't been released in virtual console because it's so broken uh in terms of like there are a lot of bugs and stuff in it and the translation's bad you know maybe they're secretly plotting to do like they did with type zero hd and like behind the scenes they're working on doing a gorgeous new repaint of the it, game it's with a translation. it's it's konami. it's konami but on the other hand sony could reach out and say hey let's go ahead and get this as a digital thing because that's the kind of thing that maybe you know Old hats will probably buy a console for a new Suikoden 2, and I, sh I mean, I already have the console, but you release an HD Suikoden 2 on your Vita and PS4, A, the Vita now has another basically AAA JRPG that everybody already loves, much like Persona 4, and B, you have another one of those things that people go, this is another notch in the belt of, I'm going to get this product. It's, wanna... Konami. it's Konami. Well, it I, is Konami. I, I, but... I totally agree with you. I would love it, but Konami just really... Man, Konami used to be just one of my favorite developers, and they are just a mess right now. I mean, they, they're where I felt Square Enix was three years ago. And that's the thing. Square Enix turned it around, and it took a little time, took a little working with other companies. And, right. you know, that that's, you know, people want their companies to stay in business. So at some point, maybe they'll just, you know, fire the CEO and hire somebody who's not. Got to get my COD money. Yeah, and, and of course, some uh, a listener is going to point out something like PT, Silent Hills, that's great, but that is still a concept. Like I, that is a nothing right now. It is That's, not. It's also it's very cool, but it's also not at all deviating from what they do. They have Hideo Kojima and a major Hollywood director working on it. Yeah. That's a clear attempt to go, hey, Call of Duty money. Look at look at check it out, bro. We got a cool horror game. Right. Like and, that is, and again, I think it's going to result in something cool. PT is awesome. I like Kojima. Uh, I like Guillermo del Toro, and those are all things that I do like, but that is not them reaching out of their safety zone. That's them going, all right, well, I'll have Kojima make another thing. 
Yeah, and the, you know, Bloodborne is not going to sell Call of Duty numbers, but Sony knows that that's the kind of game that is going to get some hardcore gamers that are maybe holding out. Having this exclusive game from software, uh, from from software that people love, another successor to the Souls games, that's going to get people to buy your console. Like they yeah. understand that it's not going to be a six million seller. Most it's likely, it's not going to be one game at all. That's the, no. and I think you make the exact a good point there. One game does not sell consoles anymore. Right. Sunset Overdrive looks awesome. I'm not going to buy an Xbox One for it. I really want to play it, but I'm not going to buy an Xbox One for it. If somehow Phantom Dust 50, like 2 through 50 come out on that, then yes, I'm going to buy it because I want them all. So now why were games like Final Fantasy VII and Metal Gear Solid 2, why were those system sellers for us back in the day? I mean, I've really... fewer games and consoles didn't cost $400. I mean, they were so like two hundred, two fifty. Well, PlayStation Two was three hundred when it came out. I mean, but that's uh, still, you know, again, four hundred dollars is not hugely different from three hundred. But right, I'm just costs I, I think, have gone up, and you know, the options have gone up. So now it's not like, you know, you have a Nintendo sixty four, you have like half an RPG to play, and Ocarina of Time, or you buy a PlayStation and you get Final Fantasy seven. So it's like, and you know, I'm not comparing Final Fantasy seven to Ocarina of Time. But it's one of those things where options were more limited. It was like, do you want to play RPGs? This is the RPG on here. Like that was the RPG. You know, you didn't, you didn't like Quest sixty four. I wanted to, uh, but you know, that's the thing is, I think it just came down to the fact that there were fewer options then. You know, there were yeah, fewer right. games. That, that's, you know, that's a really good point. Yeah, like you know, back in the day, one game could make a huge difference. Like, like Crash Bandicoot was crazy, and now it's like most people probably even heard of it. You know, The Last of Us back in the day, The Last of Us, I would have bought a console so hard for. And now it's like, I already had the console. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, like I have friends that wanted to play it. So they would like borrow a PS3 just to play it and then give it back because it's one console. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are so many games. You know, you get a PC and you now have more games than you could ever, ever hope to play. Right. Yeah. It's almost and, communi- and, and communities around each of them, too. So it's not like, you know, back when we were a little bit younger, and I'm sorry to that card um but you know you get on game facts and you talk about the one game you've been playing this month because that's the big rpg release for this quarter you know there were obviously smaller games too and you know there were the games that we might have missed out on but by and large you know there was like one game every so often you know there was a resident evil every couple of years now it's like there's like 50 horror games a month Mm -hmm. you know and that's not a bad thing it's a great thing i love having more options but it also means that one name is not going to carry the weight that it used to. I agree with that. I like, with that. even look at Call of Duty. People have been sh- trying to knock it off of its throne for years. They've been trying and trying. And while maybe they're never going to do the Call of Duty sales, they are going to flood that market with tons of shooters. And eventually one shooter is not going to sell a console. I would be shocked if a Call of Duty sold an Xbox One. Yeah. Because well. it's available elsewhere. And if that, that one, there's five other Call of Duties you could play. We really got Steven started here. He he just like you went into rant mode. It was kind of cool. Well, I wasn't ranting. I was just trying to make a point. Yeah, a little bit of a rant. All right, why don't you take us into news, big guy? Because I'm getting tired and I got stuff to do. All right. So first bit of news is that I am super cool. That's, that's all I got. You, that's because you weren't ready, was it? No, I'm actually very ready. Uh, so we already talked about it, but Terra Battles out now. Uh, it's free, iOS and Android. Um, Grid-based sort of puzzle RPG, strategy RPG combat. Really fun, free, no risk if you try it out. Um, And you can definitely progress in the game without paying any money and without, you know, 
grinding for 300 hours because that's how some of these games tend to run, I would recommend trying it out. It's gorgeous, and if you don't like it, it costs you nothing, you delete it. But yeah, pretty cool. And if you play it before November 3rd, you'll get a special character who is sort of an ancient knight who's also a healer and has a big belly, which is a great character combination. Because they're like, he's a great knight, but he also really likes to eat. And I'm like, that's my jam right there. Uh, following that, oh, a story by Robert Steinman. Uh, the new Harvest Moon that's not a Harvest Moon will be out. No, wait, sorry. This is the Harvest, Harvest Moon that is a Harvest Moon made by not Harvest Moon people. Th- this is the Harvest Moon not made by the people who have been localizing Harvest Moon. So this is the one that can be called Harvest Moon. But in any case, The Lost Valley is out on November 4th. That's a 3DS title. It's coming out in North America on November 4th. Um, you know, it's Harvest Moon. Uh, if I understand, I think this one has some sort of ability to rebuild the world. Uh, I don't know the extent of that. Rob wrote in a Minecraft-like fashion. But if you're excited for Harvest Moon that is Harvest Moon and isn't not Harvest Moon, then... This is the one that's not a Harvest Moon, but it's called Harvest Moon. The other one by Exceed is Story of Seasons. That's the Harvest Moon that's not called Harvest Moon because they can't call it Harvest Moon. Stop saying Harvest Moon. I wanted to. Stop saying good, Sean. You sound like an ass. Uh, Just yesterday, this is big news for me. I'm very excited. Uh, They just announced that Final Fantasy XIV's first expansion, Heavensward, will be coming out. Uh, It's going to be adding tons of new primals. Purportedly, it is going to be bigger than the relaunched game was when it came out, which is huge. But there'll be, uh, you know, new boss battles, an entire new region called Ishgard, which is sort of, in my mind, dis- patterned after the e- world of Ivalice. It's the coolest looking country that's currently in the game. You can go to one town from it. Uh, but that whole area is going to open up. It's going to be a lot darker in plot than the last one. Uh, and they sort of shown that it's very, like, religious and political maneuvering type stuff. Um, it's going to be adding multiple new jobs. Uh the developer went on record, uh, Naoki Yoshida, they were like, what are some of the new jobs going to be? Well, you have to wait until the next event. But he said, I was really going to wear a Batman shirt tonight. I'm a big fan of Chris Nolan's films. So they've pretty much all but confirmed that Dark Knight is one of the new classes. I'm in. Um, I'm in. The, it's gonna, it looks great. This is sort of the snowbound region. It's going to be adding floating islands. Free companies will be able to buy their own airships and fly to these new floating areas. You're still um, playing Final Fantasy XIV quite a bit, aren't you? I'm not. Um, I, I haven't had the time. I'm actually going to get back into it now, though, because the other bit of news is that the next major content patch now comes out on October 28th, which was literally announced moments ago. Uh, our, we have some folks at the Fan Fest right now that are reporting on it. Uh, so that new patch adds the major primal battle with Shiva. Uh, it's going to add um, a bunch of other stuff, a new dungeon, uh, several new dungeons, hard modes, all kinds of stuff. Um, it's going to be adding... Uh, Basically, it's a giant patch from Final Fantasy XIV. We know how these work at this point. Tons of new stuff. It's a great game that it's well-supported. Uh, they announced an expansion as, as these patches are coming out. So, good times. You'll be able to fight Ultros in the new patch. Um, Ultros and Typhon. And uh, it has a remix of the Final Fantasy VI boss theme, which is all we've ever wanted. Uh, and the people there say it's great, but I haven't heard it and I hate them. But yeah, so... Final Fantasy XIV is still going strong. The expansion looks great. Um, we, we'll have plenty of screenshots and stuff probably in the next couple of days. And by the time this is up, I'm sure it'll be available. Uh, what else we got? So speaking of the Final Fantasy, uh, the Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy Explorers just got two new jobs, Red Mage and Machinist. Uh, one of them is a terrifying movie featuring Christian Bale. The other one is one of my favorite Final Fantasy classes. Uh, <laughs> Red Mage is cool. So yeah, FF Explorers is looking pretty rad. Uh, it seems... Diablo slash Monster Hunter slash Fantasy Stars, hoping a little more on the former and the latter and not the one in the middle. But uh, yeah, tons of jobs and looks cool. 
And I believe that's coming out uh, December 18th in Japan, although I think that was already announced. No word on a U.S. release date. No word, but we'll get it. Square Enix likes money, and we like Final well, they Fantasy. Like, so. Well, that's the thing. They like Final Fantasy, and they like to bring over Final Fantasy. It's Dragon Quest Seven that we want. Well, we Damn want good games. Game. We don't want boring, generic games. Sorry, oh I'm just God. kidding. I've never it's played the Seven. The hatred of the whimsy. No, I'm my just God. kidding. I've actually heard Seven is really good. I, 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 I keep meaning to give Dragon Quest another shot, because my tastes have changed. Did you I hate... like Eight? I thought it was. Uh, I thought eight was eight was the PS2 one, right? Yeah, that game's fantastic. So I played it and I loved the world map and stuff. Then I got incredibly bored. I think it's partially just because I absolutely hate the character designs. I just despise Akira Toriyama's design. You know, you know that's fine. You can just you can just hate everything about my childhood. That's fine. I'm a, I'm gonna give them another chance. Actually, I I you know it's like Suikoden. Like I didn't like three, but at the time I was sort of younger and all of, I was really into all the, of the flashy... enemies are puns. I was really into like the flashy Final Fantasy sort of melodrama, and I'm st- I still like that. But I think I have a little more uh, acceptance now for games that are like character based or a little more you know not directed at being this grand epic Latin choir fighting an angels <laughs> thing. You know, so I'm going to give him another shot at some point because I've been just adoring Suikoden. Well, just play eight because I, I think eight is just absolutely fantastic. But that's I did just... enjoy eight a lot. Yeah, I yeah. Think I yes. it. Didn't really like many of the other ones, but. I do like enemy with pun names, so that's good. Yeah, exactly. You you will love this game. Jumping to another classic JRPG series, uh, Pokemon. You can get a shiny Gengar now at GameStop and Pokemon X and Y. It's available till October 26th. Uh, he's capable of a mega evolution. I don't know what any of that means. Um, you can. Oh, I see. If you transfer it to the new Pokemon's, gotcha. So yeah, go to GameStop, get your shiny Gengar. I remember Gengar. He was terrifying. Shiny Gengar. He's in the Pokemon rap. Oh. <laughs> Uh, apparently there is an enhanced version of Atlier, Eska, and Logi, Alchemist of the Death Sky, coming to Japan in January. Odds are pretty good we'll get it. We got all the other ones lately, I think, and it's coming to the Vita. So, yeah, it's coming to Vita. We'll get it. Uh, not announced, but we'll definitely get it. And so that's coming out January 22nd in Japan. And again, uh, I mentioned this already, but there's the Final Fantasy fourteen patch. We, we have a trailer on the site, and I'm sure you can find it anywhere else, but go to RPG Fan because you love us the most. Uh, speaking speaking of Pokemans, uh, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire have uh, a bunch of new Mega Pokemon coming in it, but very cool. There's a new uh, ability. I'm guessing it's given by like an HM or something. It's called uh, Soar, which lets you fly above the region. So I think for the first time in the series, you can actually see a world map in the Pokemon series. Um, based on the video and screenshots I've seen of it, it's probably not enough to get me to play Pokemon again, but I think it looks rad, and I'm sure people playing will really dig on that. Um, it's sort of... We love world maps. Well, some of us do. I think they're great. But yeah, so you'll you know it it's you'll be able to give a Pokemon the ability to soar um, and fly around the world. And this is the remakes of Ruby and Sapphire, uh, Omega and Alpha, and that'll be coming out November twenty first, which I believe was already announced. But again, exciting! You can fly around. And to throw a bone to Kyle here, I, the Witcher three opening cinematic will be debuting, or is it already debuted? <laughs> October 24th at approximately 1545 British summertime. So uh, I don't know what that means, but whatever. Uh, October 24th, new cutscene from The Witcher. The opening cutscene, in fact. Uh, it'll probably be awesome because the ones in 1 and 2 were awesome. And The Witcher 3 will probably also be awesome. There's a teaser site, so just go ahead and check out the teaser site if you want to watch the intro to Witcher 3 on October 24th. It's currently 11.08 p.m. <sighs> British summertime. So this means that. Let's see. What time He's going to do the math. He's going to do the math in his head, guys. I'm not going to do the math. I can't. What time did you say it was going to. 
You're going to be fine, Kyle. You're going to be fine. He's just so excited. He's just you figure that out for me, Rob? You're good at math. I'm not going to do math right now. I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing for dinner with my wife as we sit so, here and try to record this. So while you guys math it up, I will also point out that I think it's worth mentioning that Gabriel Knight 20th Anniversary Edition is now out. Uh, our own Dave Yeager reviewed it. Um, that's by Phoenix Online Studios and the original creator of Gabriel Knight, Jane Jensen. They've enjoyed a cozy working relationship lately, have been doing lots of adventure games. Gabriel Knight's one of the all-time best games um, ever and adventure games. It's uh, super cool. He's no longer voiced by Tim Curry, but it's a pretty cool game. You can check out Dave's review, or you can go buy the game, because odds are, if you like Gabriel Knight, you already decided if you're going to buy it. If you didn't know about it, go check it out. Tales of Hearts R will come with extra costumes if you pre-order it. They are, as per the standard with the, the series, they are costumes called from other characters in other games in the series. Uh, what else do we got here? Another Atelier game, Atelier Aisha Plus, is heading to Europe next year. Didn't I write up all these news stories? I should know all this. Yeah, you did write them all up, which makes it funnier that I'm reading them. Well, and I'm, I'm sort of just uh, glossing them now, but, uh, you know, just to get them all mentioned. 1045? Got it. But yeah, that's 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 what I got for news. Cool. Cool, cool, Oh, cool. oh yeah, last thing. Uh, Ace Attorney Trilogy is coming out in December. Oh, yeah, that's going to be good. I'm probably going to pick that up. I played the first one and I want to play the other. I wonder if they'll let you play the other two or if they're going to do a stupid thing where you have to unlock them one at a time. I highly doubt that. I really I, I, hope they don't do that. Oh, they didn't do that with the Devil May Cry trilogy. Yeah, that's true. Okay, that'll be cool. Um, that's out December 9th in North America. Uh, I've never played them. I'm told that I'm a fool for not having played them given that I like puns, wordplay, and adventure games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I own the first one on DS, haven't touched it, but I think I'll probably just pick this up and play them all with pretty new graphics. Cool. And Steven will have lots to talk about pretty soon. I don't think we can say exactly where he's going, but he's he's going to go uh, look at a game pretty soon. And I can't look wait at a game to... pretty soon. We'll probably podcast right when I get back. I'll actually be going to look at a game next weekend. Uh, yep. We, we won't. Major upcoming RPG, which was mentioned on this show, but uh, you don't know which one. Yep, yep, yep. I apologize that we can't talk about the game right now, but I think we will be able to soon it's not the witcher because if it was the witcher i would be going yeah <laughs> basically um, <laughs> you can probably deduce that uh yeah. yeah but you know journalistic ethics corruption blah 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 blah. oh don't don't start uh, i just think that kyle would have slit my throat if it was witcher so you know it's I not would, i would not have attempted to take <laughs> a look at this game if, if it were the witcher because i that's Kyle's thing. We go to E3, nobody asks to go see The Witcher. We just assume Kyle's going and someone might be fortunate enough to go along with him. It's like, please, sir, can I go with you? Um, I, I feel the same way Like if, if there's a Bloodborne event, that's the one I'm going to. Because we have to send the one person who can apparently play these things and know I'm not playing the third DLC. I'm not doing it. Not you probably should, Rob, because nobody else can play it. I, yeah, you're the only person who can review it and really need to review. People are counting on you. Oh my god. People are actually counting on you. If somebody buys me a PlayStation 4, I'll do it. How about that? I'm going to buy you a PlayStation 4. Just for that review. That's what it should be. We bought you a 3DS. I I have to buy myself one first. All right. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. We want to do another section of uh, reader or listener mail at some point. So be sure to start giving us ideas either on the iTunes thread or on our own podcast boards. Be sure to give us ratings on iTunes. I would love to get us to 100 reviews by the end of the year, but I'm we also have to be realistic about these things. Yeah. So easily. Yep. For uh, Stephen. 
for Stephen and Kyle, and Derek will hopefully be back with us at some point. Uh, thanks for listening, and we will see you all later.